Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, Senior Wealth Consultant and Partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Think Ahead on the Evergreen Exchange. We cover all things personal finance for high net worth individuals and families. Today, my guest is estate planning attorney, Katie Ludwig, talking about strategies for gifting. Katie's been on a few times as part of a series on estate planning. Her practice, Ludwig Law, is out of Bellevue, Washington. I enjoyed my chat with her, and I think you will too. As always, thanks for listening. All right, I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, This is our third podcast with Katie Ludwig. She's the estate planning attorney I work closely with uh, in Bellevue. And Katie, thanks for being with us. Jeff, no problem. Thanks so much for having me back for the third time. Hopefully it's a charm. Yeah, and for those listening, the first podcast was on uh, everything with powers of attorney. You can go back and listen to that one. Uh, The second podcast was on everything probate. And today's going to be on gifting strategies from an estate planning uh, perspective. So let's jump right into it um, and just talk about gifting the easy way. Uh, And we'll start there with you, Katie. Great. Thanks, Jeff. So first, it's great to cover this topic for this time of year, especially with the holidays right around the corner. Um, now is a great time to make some gifts to family members or charities. And as Jeff mentioned, there's a very easy way to do it. And if you want, that is, if you want to make gifts to family members, you can use what's called the annual exclusion amount and simply make a gift of $15,000 per person in your family. So this is a, Jeff, this is a great way to make a gift to children, to grandchildren, to spouses of children and grandchildren. All you have to do is you write a check or give them cash or whatever it is in the amount of $15,000. So long as it's no more than that amount, you don't have to tell the government, be it federal or state. You don't have to report anything. You just write the check, give it to them and happy holidays. You know, it's a a good way to get the holiday spirit rolling. Yeah. And oftentimes questions that come up from clients, especially if there's a couple that has you know, I'm just coming up with a hypothetical here. There's a couple with, with uh, you know, a, a son or daughter who is married. And so then they're trying to figure out the numbers of how much they can maximize to, you know, from one from one couple to another. And it's it's really like $15,000 per, right? So, in, you know, in this hypothetical, maybe the, you know, dad's giving daughter and son-in-law $15,000 each or 30,000 total. And then the mom is giving, each to the daughter and son-in-law for another 30 grand. So you really could give up to almost $60,000. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. It's a great way to clear out what could be a substantial amount of money, depending on how many children you have and in-laws you have and grandchildren. It can even be that they don't have to be related to you. It could be friends or anyone, but you're exactly right. It it could be $60,000 per married couple from a married couple. Yeah, I just think that's a big thing to point out because most of the time what I hear from people is they think that they have a limit of $15,000 total. And I'm like, you could stand on the street corner and just give out $15,000 checks to everyone walking by if you wanted to. It's it's $15,000 to an individual, but you're not limited on the number of individuals. That is correct. I want to say if my memory serves that the most that we've ever heard of someone uh, giving that $15,000 amount to in order to clear a their estate quickly for estate tax purposes. I believe it, it was 49 individuals, and uh, the IRS said, "Well, there's nothing for us to do here because you've, you know, you've met, you've been abiding by the rules, which is it was $15,000 per person, and even though there were 49 people, you were still playing by the rules. So, yep, a, a great way to clear some money out. 
Good. Well, that leads us into the next question on then what do you do over that amount? What, what, what are the strategies when it comes to larger gifts or gifts over 15,000 that you see from your end? All right. So let's first cover, Jeff, the mechanics of giving a gift that's larger than $15,000. The one thing I want listeners to know is that even if the gift is larger than $15,000, that doesn't mean it counts as income for the person receiving the gift. And it doesn't mean that you get a deduction for making the gift. But what it means is you have to file a form 709 with the federal government to report that the gift is being made. Because for any dollar over $15,000 that you give to a person, that lowers your federal exemption amount dollar for dollar. So let me, Jeff, I'll give you an example. The, yep. the federal exemption amount is set to increase to $11.7 million in 2021. If you were to give a gift of $1 million, $15,000 in 2021, what would happen is the first $15,000, remember, goes without having to report anything. But the next million dollars would have the effect of lowering dollar for dollar your $11.7 million exemption amount to $10.7 million of exemption amount. That's it. That's the only thing that happens. Nobody at that point is paying any sort of tax. All that happens is the federal government wants to know how much money you've given away and how much of your exemption amount will you have left to use upon your death? So that mechanically, Jeff, is, is how it works with these larger gifts. But the other thing to then think about, too, for these larger gifts is how do you want to make them? Do you want to give cash? Do you want to give stocks and bonds? Do you want to give an interest in a family partnership? And if you want to give anything other than cash, then something to bear in mind is that Whatever basis you have and the asset that you end up giving to your family member or friend or whomever, well, the basis carries over from you, the gift giver, to your recipient. And Jeff, I have a great anecdote for this, which is my grandmother, who was who lived in Wenatchee. While living in Wenatchee, she loved to come over the mountains to go to Nordy's to buy shoes in the 40s and 50s. And she was one of the, she managed to um, invest some of her money into Nordstrom stock. She was one of the original shareholders and she bought Nordstrom stock at when it was eight cents a share. So this, the, the stock split and then it split again. And she ended up having all these shares that she would eventually gifted to her children and then her grandchildren. I'm one of her grandchildren, which was great. Except then fast forward more than 50 years later, I was looking to buy a house, my husband and I were, and we ended up selling some of the Nordstrom stock to uh, you know, help pay for the house. And now I've got to pay capital gains tax <laughs> on the difference between eight cents, which was right. my basis. And like, I think it was up to, I don't know, at that point, uh, over a hundred dollars, you know, that it was ridiculous. And so that's what I mean by there's a carryover basis with gifted stock. If you give stock that has a basis of eight cents, and you give that stock to your grandchild, your grandchild takes that same basis so that if and when they go to sell that stock in the future, they'll owe capital gains tax on the difference between eight cents and whatever you sell it for on that date. So 
that is one strategy to keep in mind. Are you saddling your recipients with some sort of income tax liability down the road if they go to sell your stocks uh, that may have a very low basis? So that is just one thing to keep in mind when you make larger gifts. Yep. On the capital gains tax. Um, and we see this all the time. I mean, there's there's specific strategies from a tax perspective that you'd want to play uh, depending on how you're gifting. I mean, right now I'm working with clients that are, are doing a, a, you know, a, an accelerated gifting strategy. And we've been analyzing whether it would be better to cash out and, and uh, gift the cash or actually gift the securities. And there, there's a calculation between how much are you saving from a potential estate tax by lowering the estate versus how much would the, would the recipients then carry from a capital gains tax. And you obviously are trying to finesse it from a way that's in everyone's best interest. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of calculations that go into that, but uh, th that's a really good summary in terms of options available. Obviously, if you're listening to this and this is appealing to you, whether as the gifter or the recipient, and you want us to look over that, just let us know and we're happy to go through that. Um, moving on into another way I see clients gifting, just want to talk about qualified charitable distributions and how those how those play out. Great. So Jeff, I think you hit upon one of my favorite acronyms, QCDs, right? Which is used to distribute out RMDs or required minimum distributions from someone's IRA. So just in case estate planning attorneys or financial planners or attorneys in general don't make it confusing enough, let's just throw all these acronyms at you. But right. the Right. The baseline is that at the end of the day, a qualified charitable distribution allows you to distribute directly from your IRA, your RMD for that year to a qualified charitable entity. And by doing so, that RMD is then not included in your income. So it's a great way to try to lower your income from tax purposes while at the same time benefiting a charity that you might feel very strongly about, especially during, again, this holiday season. Um, so Jeff, I know you and I were chatting about the rules earlier, so I'll just throw in that if you are listening to this podcast and you are over the age of 70 and one half year, then you are eligible to make a QCD from your retirement account. If you are younger than 70 and one half year, you cannot. So that is because, um, the RMD rules have, have changed recently, but for all intents and purposes, in order to make that QCD, you must be at least 70 and one half. You can only also use the QCD for up to $100,000. So you can't use the QCD for more than that amount. And again, from a mechanics perspective, it has to work is you have to work with the financial institution. So Jeff, you know, here that would be you to transfer the money directly from your account to the charitable entity. You can't withdraw the RMD and then turn around and write a check from your personal account for that amount to the charity. And Jeff, I don't know if you have any input on mechanics or how that best works for clients, but I imagine what they do a lot of the time is just reach out to you directly. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the bottom line is we can help take care of that. Um, and often, often it's through Schwab. Uh, most of the time, what I'm seeing is clients who have IRAs at Schwab that we manage could also be at TD Ameritrade. Um, but let's say the, the accounts are set up at Schwab. Um, client wants to give money to a charity. We recommend using uh, some of the IRA money instead of just gifting directly from cash because of the tax benefit you get. 
And keep in mind, I mean, IRAs are set up with pre-tax money, right? So you work and you work and you put money away pre-tax and these things grow and grow and grow over the years to a point where they can be rather um, substantial in value. The IRS, once you hit 72, is looking at those accounts and saying, it's our time to get paid taxes on that money. So that's why they that's why they force you to start taking money out at age 72 now. It previously was 70 and a half, now it's 72. Um, but it's their way of generating their tax revenue on those assets. Um, and they're and that's done via what you described earlier as a required minimum distribution, or as we say, RMD for short. Um, oftentimes I have clients who don't need all of that income, right? So whether it's 30,000, 40,000, 70,000, 150,000 or more, I mean, the, the range all depends. It's just a ratio of how much you have in your IRA at the time and what your age is. Um, but there's, there's, there's so many situations where the clients, you know, are living comfortably on, on other income sources into retirement and don't need the full amount of required minimum distribution money that they that they're being forced to take out. Well, you you obviously don't have to give it away to charity, right? You can you can take the money out, pay the income tax, put it back into an investment account, and have that money, the net uh, of of tax money, continue to be invested. But for clients that are charitable minded and they're they are looking to help support local charities, uh, that could be an avenue to do to do so and save yourself the tax. So it's just, it's a slick way of using kind of like the, the tax benefit in your favor so that you're not having to pay the income tax, stick the money in your checking account and then write the check from your checking account. You can just send the money directly from your IRA to the charity and skip having to pay the, the income tax. So for those that have larger IRAs and maybe uh, you know you are already donating to charities every year already, um, and maybe even in this year, are trying to do maybe more of that given the environment and, and kind of the need for support from so many entities and charities right now, just know that you could use your IRA, even though required minimum distributions are not being enforced this year. You know, that's that's something unique about 2020, where the IRS is not forcing you to take required minimum distribution money from either your IRA or an inherited IRA you can still uh, donate up to $100,000 from your IRA directly to, to local charities. Um, it doesn't have to obviously be local charities, but to you know some sort of 501c3 uh, nonprofit. So anyways, just be aware of that as an option. Katie, I know you see that from your end. We see that all the time from our end. And yes, we can help uh, take care of that. Moving into one last topic here from a gifting perspective, it's similar to what we just described from a tap, from uh, you know what's in our client's best interest from a tax perspective, but just wanted to talk about donor advised funds uh, and 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 where you see those being used. And I can obviously add some commentary from my end on on clients of mine that use them and why they use them. But with your end of of how you see clients using donor advised funds, and then I'll jump back in here, and then we'll we'll wrap things up here. Absolutely. So. A donor advised fund is a fund that's usually managed by a financial institution. So it could be Schwab, it could be Evergreen. And within that fund, they usually have an array of charities or other similar entities that, well, that qualify for the 501c3. And the idea is that you can donate money to this fund in a single calendar year. And even though that money may not come out of that fund until maybe the year, next year or the year after or five years from now, 
you nevertheless get the full deduction for the amount that you donated to that fund in the year that you actually made that donation. So the reason that we've seen, Jeff, a lot of clients become more interested in these donor advised funds is because there's a huge amount of flexibility in terms of the number of charities that can be chosen from to use the money towards. And you couple that with being able to take the full deduction in the calendar year in which the donation is made. And it's almost the perfect blend, again, of flexibility and um, tax advantages because you're able to get a lot of bang for your buck. So this is something that we are starting to recommend more because they're becoming more popular. And as they become more popular, there's more variety to choose from. I don't know what you're seeing on your end, but we've had a lot of clients who are really happy with donations that they have made to the donor advised fund purely from a charitable perspective. And then they turn around come April 15th and go, oh, that actually made a lot of sense from a tax perspective too. We're really glad we did that. Yeah, no, we see those all the time. I mean, really, it's almost like your own foundation account to use. Um, I know that, right. that families have used foundation accounts over the years, and those get a little bit more complex and complicated. Um, but for donor advice funds, it's so straightforward. I mean, we can set those accounts up, like I said earlier. Uh, Schwab's kind of a main partner of ours as a custodian. They have the ability to set up donor advice funds. And oftentimes what I see is clients gifting appreciated stock positions that they have in after-tax accounts, uh, you know, notably – Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, I mean, so many of these, yeah, Nordstrom, yeah, Nordstrom, uh, you know, Boeing, just depends on cost basis and how much things have appreciated. Uh, but in this area, you've seen substantial growth in, in certain equities, um, so much so that, you know, so much of it is, is an unrealized gain that you would owe capital gains tax should you sell it. And so an easy way to, to take, you know, take advantage of what they allow you to do is, you know, carve off a portion of the holding that you have, stick it in the donor advised fund directly, right? So you just take the shares that you own, put them directly in the donor advised fund. By doing so, they then liquidate, but they liquidate in a way that then you don't owe tax on. It's 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 protected in the donor advised fund from a from a tax perspective. Um, and then you do have different options available to you at that time. You can keep it as cash. You also have investment options should you wish to invest that money in a different kind of method for the longer term. Um, the unique thing and the, and the nice thing about it is once you put the money in, there's no requirement to like give all the money away right away. So oftentimes what I see is even larger gifts that fund into their donor advised fund that then the clients will use for you know the next several years and they know they have a basket of money that they can use to give away. Um, so, I mean, so much of these in terms of strategy is so specific to the client and what the client is trying to achieve. But I do notice this little, like, um, not even little, like a big exhale from many of my clients that, that go, that, you know, I know that 2020 is a different year uh, and we're not doing a lot of charitable events in terms of getting together and doing the dinners and raising the paddles and all that. But in years past and hopefully in years moving forward, for those that enjoy those type of events, I mean, the idea that you already have a bucket of money that's set aside for that very purpose is, you know, to donate to, you know, charities and causes that you're excited about and knowing that that's already set up and ready to be used. It, uh, I don't know, it just seems like a little bit more freeing to people that, uh, knowing that they've already prepared for that and that there's already money set aside for that very purpose. 
Um, I don't know. It, it just feels like it's different at the events, you know, trying to calculate how much should we, should we give or should we not give and knowing, like, oh, we already put whatever it is, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand of our Microsoft stock that appreciated over time into that account. And that's what it's there for. Um, it, it almost, it makes them feel like a little bit more empowered to do exactly what they're hoping to do, which is give and, and support charities that they care about. So just be aware of that as an option. Um, again, the specifics of that and how you want to treat it, what, what holdings you want to put into it. Uh, that's all we can have a discussion around that. Um, in conversations with Schwab, it sounds like they're able to even take other types of um, assets, meaning uh, I think that they can even take like cars and boats and artwork and things like that. It's not just, uh, you know, publicly traded equities or cash, um, but then, you know, there's, there's just a process for that. So anyways, it's a slick deal. I, I like uh, clients knowing about it. Is it for everybody? No. Is it for people that are really motivated to give and maybe have the ability to, to, to benefit from a tax saving strategy that way, then of course, right? So the whole point of this podcast is just create awareness for people on the diff different types of gifting strategies available to them so that they can make informed decisions of what makes the most sense for them. So as always, I appreciate you being here with us. Thanks for your insights into this area. Um, you know, should clients have interest in talking to you, we can help arrange, arrange that. And looking forward to doing more of these ahead. So again, appreciate all your time today and uh, you know all your specific um, insights into, into, into these approaches. Great, thanks Jeff. Thanks so much for having me and happy holidays. Okay, you too.